Well, if I had a title for tonight, it would be, How Big Is Your Want To? How big is your want to? <laughs> we have all had things that motivate us, that drive us, that to want to change. Maybe you've uh, looked at an old picture and you were like, I remember when. Or even worse, you looked at a current picture and said, that cannot be. And so it motivates you to want to change. Different things motivate different people. Let's get off of that. We're not going to talk about that one. How about uh, you decide that you need to have a change in your career. So you're motivated to go back to school. And because you want a change. I want to start off tonight with something funny just to make sure everybody's awake. There was this lady that died, had a heart attack, died. Instantly went to heaven. And the Lord said to her, Oh, your race isn't done. I'm going to give you 15 more years. So he sent her back to her. She recovered miraculously. And uh, so she thought, Man, I'm going to live 15 more years. I've got a new lease on life. So I'm going to do some things that I've always wanted to do for myself. You know, really, I've always thought I needed a tummy tuck. So I'm going to go get a tummy tuck. And, you know, I've always hated my nose, so I'm going to go get a nose job. I'm going to get something done to my eyes. Had a complete facelift. Proud of herself, looked in the mirror, liked the new lease on life, liked the new her. So the last day of her last appointment with the plastic surgeon, she went in, everything's good, you're set, you're a brand new person. Walks out of the doctor's office, hit by a truck, killed instantly. Goes back to heaven. Lord, I thought you said you were going to give me 15 more years. He looked at her and he said, I'm so sorry. I didn't recognize you. (laughs) So sometimes we go to drastic measures to bring change that really doesn't amount to a hill of beans. You can do all this stuff on the outside, but the real change obviously happens on the inside. This is what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about desire. You know, the term desire, the godly definition for desire, a strong longing, a craving. Now, we don't want to get on weight loss or on food, but we're starting out with both of those. So (laughs) when we talk about craving... A good illustration is always food. You know, some people say, well, I had a craving for this. But really, it wasn't a craving. They just got to thinking, hmm, you know, an ice cream sundae would be nice. But if you have ever been a pregnant woman, you understand the difference from, oh, it would, yeah, ice cream kind of sounds nice to 2 a.m., I want ice cream, and I want it now. That's a craving. It's a strong longing. It's something that you have to have it now. Has anybody ever been there? And then we know, of course, that there's a lot of negative sides to desire and craving. Think about people that have had a desire for drugs, and it has led to an addiction that destroyed 
their lives. So we know there can be negative desires, negative cravings. But on the positive side, when we desire God, when we crave God more than anything else, guess what? We are entering into joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because when we crave Him and we desire Him above all else, He said He would give us the desires of our heart. That's how we get the desires of our heart because we desire him. And when we crave after him, he changes things in our heart. The greatest example of someone who stretched and someone who desired the best things in life, not in life, but the best things for us is our Lord Jesus Christ. We've entered in. To the Easter season. And we know that prior to Jesus going to the cross, he had the last supper with his disciples. So let's begin this by looking over in Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And, and, you know, I usually read out of the New King James Version, so that's what most of them will be tonight. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve disciples with him. Then he said to them, now I love this phrase, with fervent desire. Everybody say fervent desire. With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now did Jesus have fervent desire to eat this last supper with his disciples because he was hungry. He thought, "Mm, yeah, that sounds really good. Let's go have a Passover meal. No, that fervent desire that he had was because he knew what was going to come afterwards. His flesh was not excited about going to the cross, but Jesus knew who he was and why he had come to this earth. He was well aware of his destiny. He knew that he was going to redeem you and I. That's why he said, with fervent desire, I have desired for this hour to come. We know his flesh couldn't have been excited about it any more than yours would have. He said, before I suffer. So he knew the agony that was facing him in the physical realm and even the spiritual realm of being separated from his father and taking upon himself the sins of the entire world. He knew what was about to happen. That's why after this meal, he went into the garden of Gethsemane and the Bible tells us that he prayed and he prayed, he prayed so earnestly that he sweat drops of blood. One commentary said the only way that that could have happened was if he had had a broken heart. His heart was breaking for what you and I, for you and I. He knew what he was going to face and his flesh was fighting him. Yet he prayed that awesome prayer found down in verse 42 of this same chapter. He said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
with desire. I desire, Father, to do your will. I desire to please you. I desire to be the Savior of the world. I desire to redeem mankind above this temporary suffering that I'm going to go through. He knew what he was going to face. Jesus knew his mission and he knew his mission was not to be a martyr, but to be our Messiah. Many people had died on the cross. He knew he wasn't just going to go and die. He knew he was on a mission to be the, the Messiah, the Savior of mankind. And that's why he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Over in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I like how this lays it out of what Jesus was facing and how he faced it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy, everybody say joy. joy, the joy that was set before him. It wasn't the joy of going to the cross, but this was the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame, but here's the joy part because he knew when that part was over, he was going to be raised up from the dead, seated at the right hand of the father, ever living to make intercession for us. And that brought great joy into his heart. When we submit our will to the Father's will, even if it looks like we got to go through some difficult times, when we begin to see the end result. See, Jesus didn't see just that temporary suffering. He saw the end from the beginning. And that's how God will work with us. If we will see the end from the beginning. Like we were exhorting during worship. If we will see the fact that he has made us more than conquerors. Then no matter what comes. When our aim, our goal is to please the father. When we desire to bring him glory. When we desire to walk in his ways above all else. When we desire to be temples of glory unto him. To be a living testimony written a living testimony a witness of God's goodness when that's our utmost desire then no matter what goes on around us we can stay focused just like the beginning of this scripture in Hebrews looking on to Jesus keeping our eye upon the prize for the prize for the goal that was set before him he endured the cross you and I are not going to have to die on a cross but there are some things that we got to go through through life we don't preach a negative gospel but we are not stupid we live in the nasty now and now Heaven is our home. Victory is what we have in every situation. But you don't have victory without going through some things. You don't have a testimony unless you've been through a test. But in all these things, he makes us more than conquerors. And then don't you like how it says this? For the joy. For the joy 
that was set before him. And you know I like to talk about joy. What does joy produce? Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So no matter what we are facing, if we look unto Jesus and we have a big want to, I want to walk in victory. I want to be pleasing unto the Lord above all else. Then you know what? It will bring a joy into our hearts, a joy that knowing I'm going to get through this. Oh, a joy of knowing, hallelujah, I'm going to rise up victorious in this situation. You know what comes along with that joy? Strength. Because you got to have strength to get through it. I believe that's what happened with Jesus. Even when he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Then he began to see not just the cross. He saw beyond that. He saw your face and your face. He saw people that would be coming into the kingdom of God. He saw this gospel being preached around the world. He saw the captives being set free. He saw people that were bound by sickness and disease being healed because of those stripes upon his back. And it caused him to rise up from that place of prayer and to have that joy on the inside of him through he he just he pushed through it for the joy that was set before him and that joy gave him strength to do what he had to do to please his father how many of you in here want to please your father above all else how many of you in here you desire to hear from our heavenly father well done Thou good and faithful servant. How many of here would join me and say that I am hungry for more of God? I am hungry for a move of God in my life. I am hungry for a move of God in my family, in our local church, in our nation. Our nation needs an awakening unto God. How big is your want to? How much do you desire for God to fill this earth with glory? You know, we all have to evaluate our hearts sometimes and our our motives. I know from time to time you just get caught up in the busyness of life and you let the priorities that are important slip. Do we really hunger and thirst for God. Do we really desire him to move above all else to the point that we're willing to miss a meal and get in our prayer closet to the degree that we're willing to give up Friday night movies at the movies and come to a prayer meeting. That's desiring the things of God more than natural things. I've been there and we all been there where we have to be honest. And we have to say, no, really, I don't have that burning desire like I once had. I have to be honest. I don't, I don't think about the lost like I once had. You know, my, most of my family say this, that, and the other, and we're just trudging, going through life. We have to be honest. It's easy to let 
that desire slip. Back to food. Anybody ever been addicted to junk food? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Perhaps your schedule got busy. Stress. Just, you know, whatever it was. It's easy, it's convenient. And it's all of a sudden you start eating a bunch of sugar or things that you shouldn't be eating. And it doesn't take very long until your body says, I like candy. Give me cookies. I want ice cream. Give me french fries. Your body's crazy. You give it a little sugar and it will go, ooh, that was really good. Let's have that. You know, you might eat a whole pie. That doesn't mean you should eat a whole pie again tomorrow. But your body will say, you know, that was really awesome. Let's eat a gallon of ice cream tonight. We had the pie yesterday. It's easy for those cravings, those sugar cravings to get ignited in our flesh. The other day, you know, we, we love our little granddaughter. She's going to be four in April and she calls us with the funniest things. But the other day she's like, Grammy, I had candy and I have a sugar rush. And I could just see her over the phone, probably bouncing off of the walls. Her mommy had told her, if you've had too much candy, you got a sugar rush. But you know what? She likes candy. Who doesn't? If your body gets it, it wants it. If I've ever gotten into that routine of eating too much sugar or chocolate, oh, chocolate. Your body starts wanting things that are not healthy for it because it's crazy. Your body's crazy. And you've been in this habit of eating things that you shouldn't eat all the time. You know, I'm not opposed to having sugar, piece of candy, whatever. But if that's all you're eating, your body's going to just say, yeah, let's just eat sugar. Let's have candy for dinner. What's wrong with that? How about a piece of pie for breakfast? You know, get in the routine of eating unhealthy. I've never had my body say, I like spinach. Give me broccoli. Or you're looking at a bowl of oatmeal versus a juicy cinnamon roll. And your body's like, don't eat the oatmeal. It tastes like cardboard. You know you want, you know. (laughs) Cravings. Desires. It's real easy to get off track. What do you got to do? It takes an effort to retrain your taste buds. Body, you're going to eat that salad. No, no, no. Yes. You're going to eat your vegetables. And no, mashed potatoes and gravy do not qualify for vegetables. (laughs) One of my friends put on Facebook, they live in Oklahoma and they've gone to Cracker Barrel. Anybody ever eaten at Cracker Barrel? Oh, they're awesome. Anyway, she's laughing. She said she put it on Facebook only in Oklahoma because they were sitting next to this couple. And this guy had ordered chicken fried steak with gravy. And it comes with two vegetables. So the waitress said to him, and what would you like for your vegetables? Mashed potatoes and gravy and butter beans. Well, you know, do those really qualify as anything green? Anyway. <laughs> but that's your body. Your body thinks, well, yeah, that's, that's a vegetable. Mashed potatoes with gravy? Sure. No. You guys got unhappy all of a sudden. (laughs) Keep smiling. I won't know what you consider to be a vegetable. But if you eat like that very long, you have to retrain your taste buds. Did you know it's the same in the realm of the spirit? If we eat junk spiritually, or worse yet, if we don't eat anything 
If we go days and days and days and days and weeks and weeks without eating the word of God, your spirit will get where it tastes like spinach. Did you hear what pastor said today? He read that scripture about commitment. That wasn't any good. Don't want to taste that. Don't want to eat that because I haven't got to retrain our taste buds. I heard Lynn Hammond say this, good friend of ours. She said this, our desire follows our attention. If we give our attention primarily to natural things, then our spiritual hunger will begin to dwindle. Been there, done that. Got any witnesses? Oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong place. You guys are all way holier than me. You're way more advanced than myself. But on the other hand, if we give more attention to God by attending to Him in prayer, in His Word, our hunger for Him will increase. We change our spiritual appetite by giving attention to the things of God and to his word. The Bible tells us actually over in 1 Peter chapter 2, this is what we're supposed to desire. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 in the Amplified. Like newborn babies, you should crave Thirst for earnestly the pure, unadulterated spiritual milk that by it you may be nurtured and grow unto complete salvation. We need to crave the things of God. It's not a sin not to be craving the things of God. But if you find yourself in that place, don't stay there. Change your appetite. Start saying, hey, no, no, no. I'm not going to get all caught up in, in craving the things of the natural and the things of the world more than I am God. I got a big want to on the inside of me. And I'm willing to make some adjustments. I'm going to spend time in the word of God. I'm going to spend time feasting on manna from heaven. And I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost. And the more we give attention to the things of God the more we pray in the spirit the bigger our want to gets on the inside that's how it happened building yourself up praying on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit I want to encourage you go to the word of God look up the scriptures concerning be filled with the Holy Spirit if you've never tasted of something you can't be hungry for it I'm described a while ago uh, chicken fried steak with gravy well some of you folks have no idea what that is you got to be raised in the south but if you ever tasted it You'd want it. (laughs) But see, that's what happens with the things of the Spirit. People haven't tasted of the things of the Spirit. People aren't hungry for the Holy Spirit because they haven't tasted of it. 
There's a scripture in Psalms 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy, fortunate to be envied is the man who trusts and takes refuge in him. Before you were born again and you were out doing the funky chicken and over maybe at the hollow leg. I don't know. You weren't thinking about God. But then somebody maybe gave you a track or somebody witnessed to you. And there was a little spark of hunger. A little spark of spiritual hunger that rose up on the inside of you. But you couldn't explain salvation and the goodness of God until you tasted him. And then you went, oh, now I get it. Oh, he is good. Yummy, yummy. Jesus, you are so good and your word is delicious. And that's why a lot of people, even in our church, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit because they haven't tasted of Him. So if you're in here tonight and you've not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you. Go get white tongues over in our bookstore. Better yet, we'll give you one. Find the scriptures about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Wet your appetite. Meditate upon it. And you know what will happen? You'll go, whoo, yeah, I think I'm hungry for that. Yeah. That sounds delicious. Yes. Yes. I want all the good things that God has for me. We got to retrain our appetites and our desires. You know that your spirit man yearns to be fed. Your spirit man yearns fellowship with God. That's why he created man in the first place. God wanted to have rich fellowship with his creation. Mm -hmm. When Adam and Eve were first in the garden, it said that he walked in the cool of the evening with them. He fellowshiped with them. And that's instilled in every every single human being. There's something on the inside of us that yearns to know God yearns to have that relationship with him and that fellowship with him. And because we're born again, guess what? We have it. And when we know him, then there's this desire and this hunger. And if it wanes, you can stir it up. There's this desire and there's this hunger to feast on his word. We have 66 books here. From our heavenly father. You know what these are? They are love letters. From your father. And when you get that revelation. Of how much he loves you. And how much he yearns. To fellowship with you. How much he yearns. To bless you. Then it creates in you. This craving. Oh. I got to know what he said to me. Oh. My father loves me. I need to go and see what he's written to me today. What promise has he given me today? I know that his mercies are new every morning. I know that every day when I wake up, I'm on his mind. I know that he's thinking about me today. I know he's going to speak to me through his wonderful word today. This ought to be our attitude about the Bible. 
Psalms 119, verse 103 in the Amplified. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my lips. Have you ever had a sour day? You ever had a bad day? And it's like, ugh, can't wait to get home. And instead of going home and putting on the boob tube and hearing more bad news, you pick up the Word of God and it begins to minister life to you. And it turns bitterness into sweetness. How sweet is your words? And the psalmist David said, to my taste, to my taste. It's not just a little flippant, oh, let's see, a flop and a drop. What does it say here? No, it's like, God, what do you want to say to me today? And then the scripture jumps off of the pages. And you're like, oh, I got to chew on that. He said, how sweet are your words to my taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Take the word of God and meditate on it. Chew on it. Let it get rich deep down into your heart. And it will bring change into your life. Being in the Word. Fellowshipping with the Lord. Developing an effective prayer life. Living in victory. All of these things begin with desire. Desire earnestly the sincere milk that you may grow thereby. How big is your want to? Anybody in here want to grow in the things of God? Anybody in here want to be more effective in their prayer life? Anybody in here want to just shake hell, the regions of hell, and set the captives free by being full of the power of God? Let me illustrate a want to by telling you another story. There was this pilot, and he had a little break, so he decided he was going to go out to the beach and enjoy his lunch. So he's sitting on this beautiful sandy beach, and this bumblebee kept flying around his lunch. Do you know that bumblebees are a wonder of nature? They're not supposed to be able to fly. They've got little bitty wings and a big fat body, but... They can. They don't know that. So they fly all over the place. Well, anyhow, this bumblebee keeps buzzing around. So he's you know, trying to ignore it. And then it, it's getting closer to his lunch. So he swats it. And it kind of flew away for a while. And pretty soon it came back. This time he hit it really hard and knocked it in the sand. And it went rolling across the sand and crawled away. He said, okay, good. He's gone now. Sitting there enjoying his lunch. And a little bit, here comes that bumblebee back. So this time he swatted him real hard. He came back again. So he said, all right, you're done for. He swatted him. He got up. Once he had knocked him on the sand, he stepped on him. He twisted him into the sand. Okay, you are gone now. You're not going to bother me. So he's sitting there enjoying his lunch. He looks over and he sees the sand start to move. And he's like, seriously? 
the sand moves and wiggles, and all of a sudden he sees one little broken wing coming up out of the sand. Then another little broken wing, and then a little scratching. A little bumblebee makes its way out of the sand. Broken wing, all beat up. But he gets out of the sand. He starts licking himself. Starts dusting the sand off with his good leg. Then he, sa- he starts taking a few little steps. Then he tries to fly. Didn't make it. Crashed. But he keeps watching this bumblebee. He keeps doing all this stuff with his legs. And he keeps just doing things with his wings. Flapping them. Practicing. And then a little bit. That bumblebee took off. Flew right over his head. Didn't come back this time. But when that happened, he was amazed. And the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, That bumblebee had a big want to. He wanted to live and he wanted to fly. And then he said to him, How big is your want to? Too many of us, we face difficult situations. Things come and they knock us down. You might feel like that little bumblebee that you've been swatted down in life and even stomped on. But if you will realize who's on the inside of you, if you will realize, get that godly desire going on the inside of you, that godly desire and that determination, I'm going to get up, I'm going to dust myself off, and I'm going to fly. Even if the devil said I couldn't fly, if my wing was broken, I'm going to get up and I'm going to fly because Jesus is my healer. I've got a big want to, and I desire to win in life. I desire to soar higher in the things of God. I desire to fulfill my destiny and to be all that God has created me to be. Amen? Think about Jesus. He was more than just stomped on by some man. He was crucified. He was put in the regions of the dam for three days and for three nights. But Jesus had a big want to. Jesus had a huge desire to see the plan of salvation ratified. Jesus came up. Out of that pit. Jesus came up out of that grave. Because he had a big what to on the inside of him. He had a desire to see you and I redeemed from the curse of the law. If Jesus could face those kind of odds and get up, rise up victorious over death, hell, and the grave. If Jesus could literally be the last man standing, hallelujah, you and I can stand in the face of difficulty. You and I can stand and look the devil right in the eye and say, you may have knocked me down, but you haven't knocked me out. I got a big want to, and I'm getting back up in the name of Jesus. And my end shall be greater than my beginning. My God will see to it that my latter days are greater. And anything that the enemy has been stolen, my God shall restore it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, most of us in here, 
We've tasted and we've known of the goodness of God. How many in here are born again? How many of you in here? You know Jesus. You love Jesus with all of your heart. We've been partakers of his love, his mercy, and his grace. But the thing the Lord branded in my heart and the point I want to end with in this message, what about your family? What about your co-workers? What about your friends? What about people that I can see driving by right now on Hesperian? What about people on BART? What about people at the grocery store? What about people at the cosmetic counter that I see every week? You know what I'm saying? What about people that we come in contact with? Do we just kind of passively say, oh, well, they probably don't know the Lord. Well, that's too bad. Or do we want to be stirred? Stirred in our hearts to be instruments, to be vessels, carriers of God's glory. Think about it. The life of God that's on the inside of you. Just by you touching somebody, they can know that same life. The life of God that's on the inside of you. The joy of the Lord that's on the inside of you. Just by you smiling at somebody, they can go, whoa, what was that? It's Jesus. Jesus in us. We're approaching Easter, and that's a wonderful time. And it's good to stir ourselves up about these things. But it ought to be Every day of our lives. Lord, open our eyes. Make us aware of what's going on around us. I got to share one last scripture. Y'all still here? This is about stirring up our hearts. Over in the book of Haggai, the children of Israel, they had been taken into captivity, into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And now they had come back to Jerusalem. And when they came back to the holy city, the people got caught up in building their own houses. There's nothing wrong with you having a home. There's nothing wrong with you having your needs met. But not at the expense of forsaking the work of God. So the word of the Lord came to Haggai. And he begins to tell the people, you're building your houses. You're caught up in all your affairs. But the house of God lays in ruins. These things ought not so to be. And the word came forth. And I love how it says this here in Haggai chapter 1 verse 14. So the Lord stirred up. Everybody say stirred up. Stirred up. The spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of whoever, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Now listen in the spirit-filled Bible what this word stirred means. It's a Greek, it's a Hebrew word, O-O-R. 
And it means to rouse, to awaken, stir up, excite, raise up, to incite, to arouse, to action, to open one's eyes. I love that. When this refers to this verse here, what happened when the spirit of God came up on Haggai and he's like, we got to rebuild the house of God. You're caught up in your own affairs. God stirred up their hearts. Their hearts were pricked within them and their eyes were opened up. And they all came and they worked. But it goes on and it says here. This word is used in reference to an eagle stirring up its nest. And I love this one. Or a musical instrument being awakened or warmed up for playing. God is awakening our hearts. God is stirring us up because there is a cause. There's a cause for the church to wake up. There's a cause for the church to get warmed up like a musical instrument to get ready to let God make beautiful music of your life. There is a cause. And if you will follow this through, the very next chapter is one of my favorite chapters where it says that the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth. And it also says that God spoke through Haggai after the hearts of the people were stirred up. And they began to bring their best to the temple. They began to work to see that the temple of God was repaired. Then the Bible says, God showed up and he said, I'm going to fill this place with my glory. I believe that's where we're at right now. Not just this church, but I mean the church worldwide. And we're in it. That God is stirring us up. He's creating in his people a hunger and a desire. A great big want to see God move. A great big want to see this place filled with his glory. To see people come into the kingdom of God. So tonight, as we close, everyone stand up. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you, by your spirit, you are stirring our hearts. You are creating in us, Lord, your will, your desire. Lord, we desire your will. Above all else. If that's your prayer, would you just pray that with me? Father, I desire to do your will. Above all else, I desire to see people born again. I desire to be a carrier of your glory, of your life. I desire desire to bring healing healing to the hurting. hurting. Lord, here I am. Create in me me your desire. desire. Lord, I will be be a vessel of honor. 
I commit myself to pray, to stir myself up. Lord, open my eyes. Let me see areas that I need to make adjustments in. Now let's just pray this. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for a mighty harvest in the Bay Area. We pray our vision. We are expecting to reach the lost, heal the hurting, and see believers matured. Now we pray to that end.